you know, we believe that all of your systems are connected. And, and pandas is a beautiful example because your immune system has a burden on it, which is affecting your cognition and your development and your brain and the way you're behaving. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. After personally struggling for years upon years with chronic health issues that traditional medicine and pharmaceuticals could not resolve, I finally found relief in true healing through a functional medicine approach. Since then, I've dedicated my life to helping patients around the world transform their health by getting to the root cause of symptoms and restoring their body's natural ability to heal. This experience has shown me that a true state of wellness often requires an integrated approach that brings in multiple disciplines and modalities. In this podcast, I will interview a variety of practitioners and health professionals to educate and empower you on the full spectrum of tools that are available to reclaim your health and vitality. If you are struggling with health challenges and you are not getting the answers or results you feel you deserve, or you simply want to optimize your health and take a proactive approach to wellness, this podcast is for you. And if you like this show and find it helpful, be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. I am extremely excited about today's guest and today's topic. Today we are diving into PANS and PANDAS. PANS is known as Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome, whereas PANDAS is Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Streptococcal Infections. Now, I know that is a mouthful, but we're going to learn all about the details of these conditions and the fact that these are treatable conditions that oftentimes are getting overlooked or misdiagnosed by practitioners, leaving kids struggling with behavioral and psychiatric symptoms and parents at their wit's end, not knowing what to do or where to turn. So today we are joined by Dr. Emily Gutierrez, who received her doctorate of nursing practice from John Hopkins University and is also a certified pediatric nurse practitioner and functional medicine provider. Dr. Gutierrez is the founder of Neuronutrition Associates in Austin, Texas, one of the first pediatric functional medicine practices in the United States. She's written a book, The Parent's Roadmap to Autism, A Functional Medicine Approach, and is also a seasoned published writer and speaker. She has a plethora of knowledge. She's a great person, and I think you're really going to enjoy today's talk. So let's dive into it. Hey, Emily. Well, welcome to the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. I am really excited about our conversation, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be here. Well, thanks for having me, Dr. Osgood. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. This topic is something that I'm very passionate about, and I know you are as well. And I think a lot of people are going to take some really great information from your knowledge base, and hopefully we can help uh, expand people's understanding of PANS and PANDAS to give them a little bit more clarity on what that looks like and you know people that may be suffering whether that's children or even young adults but before we jump into those specifics do you mind giving us a little bit of a background story on you know what brought you to functional medicine and what brought you to pediatrics in general 
Sure. Um, so I've been practicing functional medicine for a good while now. And, you know, functional medicine was a, an evolution of what patients wanted. So in allopathic care, when I worked with a pediatrician, we had a lot of patients that wanted an alternative approach to health. You know, they didn't always want an antibiotic for their ear infections. They, you know, wanted to have some conversations about just kind of the allopathic paradigm of when you get sick, what you're supposed to do. And in Austin, we like to keep it weird. It's actually our city's motto. So, you know, the alternative approach was really something my patients wanted. So when I went and studied at Johns Hopkins and did my DNP, that was the um, question is, what are you struggling with in patient care? And what I was struggling with was how do I meet these people that really want, you know, to know about vitamin C and nutrition and detox and all the things that we weren't taught about in our prior education? How do I meet them where they're at? Because I'm their healthcare provider and I want to provide health to them, healthcare no matter what it's called, integrative, functional, allopathic. So that's kind of how I got started. I started really learning about integrative medicine. And, you know, as soon as you start learning about integrative medicine, you know, like what else can you do for an ear infection? What else can you do for pain? You know, it will lead you to functional medicine, which then, of course, asks the question, why do you have pain? Absolutely. That's great. And, and I think that's such an important concept to think about is, is why. And that's really what functional medicine is, is, is trying to figure out why problems are happening. And unfortunately, you know, you went through the similar training where we go through all of these years of education and we don't learn about nutrition. We don't really dive into how environment and lifestyle influences chronic disease. And, and that's just what's so awesome and rewarding uh, when you learn how to help people without simply just prescribing a medication. And yes, they have their time and their place and medications can be very helpful, but we always have to be investigating that why, like you said. So that's great. Absolutely. And you know, this this week alone, I've had some conversations with patients. It's you know, your, your provider that is in allopathic medicine, which is mainstream medicine, most pediatricians, most people that, you know, are trained that are, they're providing something called standard of care. And what that means is, you know, you learn about a disease or an illness, and then you get kind of a cookbook algorithm on how you're supposed to treat it. And there are beautiful, wonderful providers out there providing standard of care. But that is the model, is that you stick to that standard of care and you don't deviate or ask questions about it. And, you know, that works in some cases like strep throat. Oh, my goodness, right. please treat <laughs> strep throat. But when it comes to anxiety, you know, sometimes anxiolytic medications or SSRIs, they don't work. So exactly. then what? Exactly. That's such a great point. Well, on today's topic, um, I know that you have a lot of patients that you work with, uh, with a variety of different conditions, but uh, you definitely are an expert in pans and pandas. And, uh, you know, what I found, at least in, in our area, is a lot of people, a lot of parents aren't familiar with pans and pandas, uh, although they may have a child who is suffering from it. So one of the purposes of this podcast is to really raise awareness on diseases and on treatment modalities that people in the community may not be aware of. So could you tell us a little bit more about PANS and PANAS, really what they are and uh, you know, some of the symptoms that parents may look out for to put PANS and PANAS on their radar for their kiddos? Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, PANDAS and PANS, first of all, they're interchangeable. The PANDAS stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorder Related to Streptococcus, so strep throat. 
But really over the years, it's been shortened to PANS because not only strep can cause this autoimmune phenomenon, but other things like, you know, mycoplasma or Lyme or um, even influenza. So what it is, is it's an autoimmune reaction to an infection. So what happens is a child gets an infection and rather than their immune system being really sophisticated at treating it and eradicating it, there's some chronic infection that's left in the body. And when there's chronic infection left in the body, say it's strep, you know, antibodies towards that infection start to affect the brain. So it's an autoimmune reaction to the basal ganglia or part of the brain that really helps regulate one of our neurochemicals called dopamine. So it's an autoimmune reaction to an infection. And what happens is this, you know, say you have an eight-year-old boy that's pretty happy, easygoing, um, you know, doing well in school, doing well at home. And then all of a sudden, you know, they start to have really severe anxiety. And that anxiety typically manifests with obsessive compulsive traits, like they're very particular about something, they become very methodical, they become very rigid, have to have things a certain way. They have terrible separation anxiety that starts. And then also there's disordered eating with it. So they become extremely picky, maybe only wanting to eat, you know, a few different foods. And then some people in some cases can even start to have urinary dysfunction, like wetting the bed when they were, you know, potty trained and nighttime trained long before. And then for some of the more severe cases as well, you can start to have motor tics or vocal tics or both, but typically it's just one or the other. So it's this happy kid that was doing well that all of a sudden has all these neuropsychiatric symptoms, but they may not have fever. They may not have had a history of, oh, I had strep. So, you know, the medical community has had a long journey in putting together that it, there was an infectious etiology that led to all of these neuropsychiatric symptoms. And it is pretty devastating for families when this happens. If some of these symptoms are ringing a bell and you're wondering if your child is dealing with pans or pandas, I have a screening questionnaire to help you spot the patterns and determine if this is something you need to talk to your provider about. You can find it in the show notes of this episode, episode 103, by going to grassrootsfm.com forward slash 103. Absolutely. So so you're seeing not only uh, behavioral changes that are pretty sudden and acute, but there's also some physical changes that you mentioned with the, the bedwetting or regression, uh, you know, in, in learning, you know, changes with motor tics or another thing that sometimes will pop up out of the blue. So I know that for a parent, that's got to be pretty scary, right? So they, they see all these, they see their child who was, you know, developing perfectly normal to all of a sudden having a regression or a change that's putting them back potentially even years, you know, from where they were. So, you know, what, what happens at that point when people, when the parents are seeing this, they typically will, again, go to their pediatrician. What are some tests that are typically performed uh, if the pediatrician is on board or the neurologist on board to figure out if this is what's going on? How is, how is PANS or PANDAS diagnosed specifically? Well, it's a clinical diagnosis. And what that means is I I wish there were one particular test that said absolutely yes or absolutely no, but you have to put together the history of what happened. And there's a criteria, you know, we talked about most of the symptoms, something also, sometimes there's changes in handwriting that will start to happen for kids. 
Um, sometimes it's aggression. Some of these kids can go from, you know, just terrible aggression that they're suffering from. So first of all, you have to have the conversation, you know, what's going on. And then a really, you know, a good pediatrician is going to swab their throat and they're going to swab their anus because you can get strep in your throat, you can get strep around your anus. So first you want to rule out, is there an acute infection right now that is, is covert? So it's under the covers. They don't have fear. They don't have sore throat, but you swab their throat, send it off for culture. That's really important because a rapid might not show it all the time. And then boy, if it comes back, you better put that kid on an antibiotic ASAP. So that's, that's kind of the first step. Yeah, great, great. And that's, I love that. That's such an important point. And I think that gets missed a lot is especially with, with pandas, when you're looking for that strep infection, that's exactly what happens. And, and people aren't doing cultures routinely a lot of times. So the, you know, the quick swab, the rapid swab is not always the best option. And, and having that confirmatory culture is so key, but also doing a quick uh, anal swab or, you know, is, is important as well, because a lot of times strep is hiding there and it gets missed. You know, strep yeah. does not just happen in the throat. And, and ki- these kids don't always present with those typical strep symptoms. So doing that comprehensive evaluation is so important. And I, I also think it's really important to understand from the PANS perspective that it's not just strep. And a lot of the early research and even what some of the conventional doctors may be more familiar with is, is PAN does with the strep infection. But like you said, we're also seeing it with mycoplasma and with Lyme and with Bartonella. And there's even some information on how mycotoxins or mold can cause mm-hmm, flares as well. Much. Mm-hmm. So we see that a lot, you know, especially in New England where ticks are everywhere. They, but even the, but we know that Lyme and, and these tick-borne illnesses are, you know, throughout the world, across the country. It's not just isolated here. But uh, I think it's so important for when parents see these sudden changes in behavior or these sudden physical symptoms that all of a sudden pop up out of nowhere, we need to be investigating it, it, it thoroughly. So uh, back to that, what you mentioned, which was great about how it's a clinical diagnosis. That's where I think, and, and Lyme disease is the same, where it's a clinical diagnosis. And, and uh, that can be very frustrating for practitioners. And it can be very frustrating for parents as well, because there's not a gold standard as far as you get a test and all of a sudden you make this diagnosis. And I think that's where there's some controversy. So in regards to diagnosis, Emily, what are some of the other tests that are available to help clinicians figure out uh, if this is the problem? Being that that PANS or PANDAS is a clinical diagnosis, as you mentioned, uh, you know, there, there's got to be some information, some further information beyond just a strep test to understand if this is what's happening. So what are some other tools that you use in your practice to get to the bottom of it? There's some common tools at our disposal. Like you can do some blood work. Um, You can look at strep titers in the blood. You can look at mycoplasma in the blood. You can look at a lot of infection titers in the blood. And sometimes that's very helpful to kind of guide your clinical, like what you're going to do for treatment. So if I found mycoplasma, I'd want to use azithromycin versus if I found strep, I might want to use augmentin, a different type of antibiotic. So definitely you can do some titers in the blood. I like to look at um, inflammation titers in the blood as well, like TNF-alpha, and we can look at a high-sensitive C-reactive protein. So you can do some blood work that typically you could get done through your, through your, you know, mainstream lab. It doesn't have to be a functional lab. Parents are, you know, when you start to really understand pandas and pans, you're going to hear a lot about the Cunningham panel. So this is a panel that you can do um, that will show these anti-dopamine antibodies in the brain. 
However, I don't, I don't order it. I don't, I mean, I don't really order it much at all because it's expensive and it still is, it still is something that is, um, you know, clinically we're going to treat anyway. So it's a, exactly. it can help confirm, but it's not the one test that says yes or no. So the so, people who really want to know, is this an autoimmune reaction in the brain who really just need that information, the Cunningham panel may be helpful to, to help uh, confirm that, or maybe they need that information for insurance purposes to uh, you know, I don't know, to, to, to do some other type of therapy, but really it's not going to change the trajectory because if the, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, we're going to treat it like a duck. It's a duck, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Um, and there's another thing too. I mean, functionally, you know, I mean, yeah. if I'm going to treat somebody with pandas or pans or that's our, our, our suspicion, you know, some kids are terrified of blood work, you know, right, so right. It, while it's helpful, obviously to get the swabs, I think that that's first step, you know, sometimes you can do a stool study and look at pathogens in the gut. Right. Um, and I do think looking at environmental mold in some of my patients, that was the trigger and yeah. you can do some testing to look at urinary metabolites, um, in, in the urine as well about mold. So it depends on their history. You know, right. that's why a good, a good clinician is a good historian. And I think in functional medicine, we're great at taking histories and that can kind of guide, well, where are we going to look for this? What happened before? What came before this trigger that changed my kiddo into what he's really dealing with now? That's awesome. So when we're looking at pans or pandas, we know that there are some some guidelines that are set out for practitioners to help with, with treatment. And we know there's, there's you know, a, a a triad of things that are really focused. And can you explain what the conventional guidelines show for for pans and pandas? You know the the different modalities that are typically implemented to treat. Uh, before we jump into the functional approach, sure. So really, the the traditional guidelines right now are put someone on um, an antibiotic for a good period of time, probably thirty days is the standard. Um, consider doing things like steroids. Um, and then if that doesn't really help recover a kid, then you start to talk about something called IVIG, which is basically, um, immunoglobulins. It's a blood product from somebody else. So you're getting there, you're getting immune help from somebody else's blood or plasma. So those are, those are the, really what people are doing in the, in just in the purely allopathic world, that's the treatment. And then sometimes we're adding in medications like antidepressants as oh, well. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- that's kind of like the triad. But so when we're looking at PANS and PANDAS, it's important for us to understand that it is an autoimmune condition. So what's happening is the immune system is attacking in tissues, or in this case, the basal ganglia, which leads to a lot of these symptoms. But with any autoimmune condition, beyond those conventional measures that you mentioned, which are important and can be helpful, we also want to be thinking about how do we get this immune system in a better place? How do we reduce that inflammation? How do we stop that autoimmune attack? And that's where a functional medicine approach really comes in. So can you explain to our listeners a little bit more about what additional uh, treatments and and testing and therapies would be uh, necessary to get to the bottom of pans and pandas more from a functional perspective? Mm-hmm. 
enter in the complexity of functional medicine, right? <laughs> Which means that, you know, we believe that all of your systems are connected. And, and PANDAS is a beautiful example because your immune system has a burden on it, which is affecting your cognition and your development and your brain and the way you're behaving. So, you know, we believe that everything is connected. So in that, you know, you apply the functional medicine model, which is where is the inflammation coming from? What are the triggers? And for some kids, they're eating foods that are inflammatory for them. For some kids, they have a lot of dysbiosis or their gut needs a lot of balancing. For other kids, there's, you know, environmental stressors that they're dealing with. You know, in Austin, we have tons of allergies um, into the environment and we're in a hot, humid city. So, you know, not only environmental molds, but um, also molds within homes that have had water damage. You have to do a big assessment of environment, of different systems in the body. So you, you just kind of t- take a step back. You go back to the history And then um, you evaluate from there. So on most of my kids, I get a stool study. I think that's pretty critical. On most of my kids, I get a food study to make sure their immune system isn't, you know, really reacting towards sensitivities of foods. It might not be an anaphylactic allergy, like where you need to carry around an EpiPen. But there are a lot of people that eat foods that they're sensitive to. And that's something that every day, multiple times a day, you're doing to stress your immune system out. So we look for sources of inflammation. We look for sources of stress. And then what we do is we take out those sources of stress and then we replace the body with what they need. So a lot of times kids are deficient in nutrients, such as, you know, they're low on vitamin D, they're low on zinc, they're poor methylators. You know, not only is your immune system burdened with things that it can't handle, but it also is missing the key components that it needs to function and regulate optimally. So that's the work, you know, find the inflammation, take it out and replace, you know, what you need in your body to give your immune system the full capacity it needs to function well. Absolutely. It's kind of like the uh, analogy of a, a wilting plant, right? Like we could paint the leaves green and call it good, uh, which sometimes I believe that's what we do in the conventional world by utilizing medications, or we could give the plant the water and the love and the light that it needs to really flourish, right? And the body needs all of those ingredients and more to really thrive. And if we don't address that, and we just treat the symptoms, uh, we're not going to see the results. And, and that's what I know you and I both love about the concept of functional medicine. Mm-hmm. Even though it makes your picture so much more complex, right? Because yeah. <laughs> while we love the randomized controlled placebo controlled trials and they right. really have their utility, we're also all something called N of one. We're our own study. We have our own environmental influences. We have our own exposures, our own triggers, our own environment. And then we have our own genetics, you know? That's so right. everybody is such an individual and that's the approach that you really need to take. I'm often asked, well, what's your protocol? You know, what's your protocol with this disease or that disease? And, you know, if you're asking me my protocol, we've missed the point completely, right? Because it just depends on what's going on with that individual. And I do think genetic testing sometimes can be really helpful because there are people that they have a great diet. They have clean air, clean water. You know, they really have been doing all of the things to live a healthy life and they're mindful, but they, this still happens to them. And, you know, in those people, there's always a genetic underpinning, right? The genes load the right. gun and the environment pulls the trigger. So especially around neurotransmitters and how your yes. brain 
is more likely to have more glutamate or less serotonin or how much inflammation your body is more susceptible to, that can definitely have a genetic underpinning. Um, So sometimes we'll do genetics and and that helps us to have more targeted therapies, you know, so. Exactly. And I think that's an important point to make is, like you said, the genes, you know, load the gun, the environment pulls the trigger because it is important to look at those genetics. But just because you have a certain genetic makeup doesn't mean that that's the end of the story. And I think a lot of people will do these comprehensive genetic profiles and they just get hope, they lose hope and they get discouraged and they think, oh, there's nothing I can do. Well, that's absolutely not true. There's what those tests help us do as clinicians is find, you know, targeted treatments to help optimize, you know, how the body is functioning and maybe find a backdoor way around some of those, those poor genes. And uh, there's a variety of ways to do that, which I know you are really good at, but Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when it comes to pans and pandas specifically, unfortunately, I know there's a lot of clinicians out there who aren't on the same page with uh, pans and pandas. Some will flat out say that it's not a real diagnosis and it doesn't exist. So uh, is there actual scientific literature to support these conditions? Yes, there absolutely is. And I, I think that that data is becoming more and more robust over time. And, you know, I've probably been treating pandas and pans now for about six to seven years. And when we first started really focusing on this diagnosis, and it just fits great with functional medicine, right? Because it's a chronic autoimmune thing that happens um, to children. And we specialize in pediatrics. So, you know, this naturally came to our door. We We didn't go looking for it. You know, at first, even the group here in town, the neuro group, they had very few practitioners that would really listen to a family about what was going on. It was disregarded a lot. But now it's great because now that group has an IVIG clinic. And they have practitioners that are very good at recognizing it and treating it and and listening to the parent's story. And when you're a parent out there and this is happening to your child and everybody is saying that it's not, it can feel very lonely and it can feel very hopeless. And then you think, is this how my kid is going to be forever? Right. While there's treatment for pandas, you know, depending on what's going on, right, fixing the immune system, helping support inflammation and autoimmunity, giving medications when they're needed, it is also can be relapsing and remitting, which means that you get someone stabilized, but then six months later, they might have what you call a flare. So, and and typically that happens when there's an exposure to another infection or when they kind of get lackadaisical about, you know, supplementation or diet and there's more inflammation, you'll see a better flare, but you know, the earlier the intervention, the better the outcome. That's with pandas, and that's basically with anything that is chronic and autoimmune in children. So, you know, I think parents, we know how to treat that. We know how to go back in. Sometimes we'll do a short burst of steroids, but we also know that there's some natural things out there that work really well, just like steroids that have less side effects, like yeah. PEA and curcumin and things like that. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great point because understanding the the concept of relapsing and remitting, no matter what your condition from an autoimmune perspective is, I think that's really important because sometimes I see this where people do really, really well and they make miraculous recoveries and they, they put their symptoms into remission and then something happens, some type of stressor, whether that's physical or chemical or emotional, and then boom, they flare. And sometimes that can 
just wipe the hope and the uh, you know the enthusiasm for what they've done away from people. And I, I think it's important for them to understand that is often does that often happens with these cases, and you can't get you know turned off by your approach. You you can't lose hope. You have to just put those uh, you know those those interventions back into action that got you into remission before and uh, and you can do it you've done it once you can do it again so just don't get down on yourself just implement you know changes that are going to get you back to that good place i think that's so important because you these people whether it's adults or kiddos everybody's working so hard to achieve a better state of wellness and because there's nothing more valuable than your health and that's why i love working with this patient population but, you know, unfortunately, life does happen, things do change, and we have to get back on the wagon. But it's so important, because like I said before, if you don't have your health, you don't have much of anything, and it's something we always have to be striving for. So uh, that, that's great. I love it that you bring it up that that happens not only with yeah. pandas and pans, but with really all autoimmune conditions. And that's true. I mean, you know, the hard work of being yeah. well is worth it. And and sometimes when we have those relapsing times, it's just a time really for right. confirmation of what we were doing was working and confirmation that it's worth it to keep doing it. You know, right. <laughs> I didn't want to get on my bicycle this morning, you know, and sweat 20 minutes and then right. just yeah. sit 30 minutes in my sauna. But I did it because I know that, you know, I, I'm way more sedentary these days being in front of this computer and I need to, you know, exercise and I need to, I'm fasting now. And I know all of these things are, are good for me ultimately, and they do require work, but I'm worth it. You know? Absolutely. That's a great point. And it's just like with food, right? We all want to be able to go out and eat a donut or grab a piece of pizza, you know, but if it's going to set us back from a health standpoint, or if it's going to jeopardize the progress that we've made, it just, it's not worth it. We, we always want to be thinking about why. I always tell my patients, so why do you want to get well? That's important to think about because that why, whether that's your husband or your wife or your children or the trips you want to take in retirement, that why is what's going to drive you to push through these difficult changes uh, and it's going to make it all worth it. And with your kids, you know, it's easy for kids and parents that, you know, you get them well and you, you, they're back. You're like, oh my gosh, my child is back. He's doing okay. You know, it's easy to get kind of complacent. Like, well, do we really need to be gluten-free? And, you right. know, does he really need to take these supplements? And while I don't think you have to have supplements in order, you know, to be well, there's a lot of right. us that, you know, that they actually help keep us well. Like it's real important Absolutely. to have a therapeutic level of vitamin D and, and that's hard to do when you yeah. work inside. Even when you live in a, you know, a, a sunny right. city like Austin, people can still be. Exactly. Efficient. So. Oh, it's so true. Well, if you have, if a parent runs into an issue where, you know, they're suspecting pans or they're suspecting pandas and uh, they're, they're really getting a hard time from their. PCP or from a neurologist or a specialist that they're they're taking their child to, you know, what are some tips that you would recommend to help them be successful, whether that's finding the right practitioner or maybe educating the, the people that they're seeing and the specialists they're seeing on these conditions? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, maybe we can put some links to some literature and some show uh, in some of your show notes. Absolutely. I, I think it's a great idea. I think that some providers remember they're trying to uphold standard of care and there's just no standard right. of care for pandas and pants really quite yet. Um, mm -hmm. And so 
sometimes they just need to see the data and, you know, yeah. risk versus benefit. Most kids that need say to go on an antibiotic, you're going to see a response right away. You know, that's the thing is you have to determine, you know, what is the risk of the therapy versus the risk of doing nothing. And just that urgency of knowing that the earlier you do something, the better the kid is going to recover from it. So, you know, I think that Absolutely. can be really powerful. So showing some research, I think could be helpful. Um, and, yeah, right. and then just coming prepared. Like, I know you might not believe in this. I know this might be hard for you to hear, but in yeah. my mama gut, I want you to honor that. I think this is happening with my child. And as a good provider, especially somebody that takes care of kids, if you don't listen to the parent's gut and what they truly believe about their child, then you're not doing a really good job collaborating with them on their care, you know, because the parent knows the child more than I do. They're with them all the time. And if they're coming to see me, I know it's because you really care about your child and you want them to be well. And I am going to honor what you're saying about them. And I'm going to take into consideration what you, you know, and have the discussion with you if I think this is going on. Absolutely. Because I mean, as a practitioner, that's our job is to continue our education journey, right? It doesn't end with school. We're constantly learning because medicine is constantly changing and the body is so complex. We'll never know all of the answers. So we learn so much from our, our patients. You know, that's where we get the most knowledge after school. So if, if your practitioner is not willing to look at some new evidence or research or to listen to uh, your gut feeling, I mean, that's, that's where it's time to probably look in another direction, you know, because that, that it's so important, like you said, to listen to that mom mm-hmm. gut. There's a whole network. It's called the Pandas Physician Network. I mean, there's a whole network Excellent. of providers with really great universities that are backing this. So it's it's not pseudoscience. It's not, you know, it's not something people have made up. It is it is well researched. There's even providers at the NIH that are, are that are leading how to treat, um, which is the National Institutes of Health, that are leading how to treat these kids with autoimmune encephalitis, which is what pandas and pans are. That's awesome. Well, can you do you mind quickly sharing a story of uh, maybe a child that you have cared for that was struggling with pans or pandas and what that journey looked like for them? Yes, I will. And and I'm going to use one that had an example of somebody that was bitten by a tick in Texas, which we think, oh, you know, there's no there's no Lyme in Texas. There's no there's no ticks in Texas. But they were playing at a place called um, Top Golf, and he got a little bite and they thought it was a spider bite. No big deal. And um, he had a little spot on his arm for a little bit of time and nobody ever treated him. But about two weeks after that bite is when all of a sudden he was so anxious he couldn't go to school. His eight-year-old boy. He started wetting the bed. He was always a picky kid, but he would only three foods after this would only eat three foods period um had terrible separation anxiety starting to want to sleep with mom and dad every night and then even started developing some motor tics so they didn't know what happened to their super happy well balanced well adjusted kid it was just like this overnight change so you know we did the we did the first stuff we did the throat swab and the anal swab and we went through the history and all of that and, you know, Lyme was not on our list of things because who knew it, you know, playing at Top Golf, you got a little bite. What was that? So we did some lab work. Things like strep didn't come up. Things like, you know, mycoplasma didn't come up. His inflammatory markers came up pretty high. 
But on the second round of blood work, I did a line panel and every single, I think that we did an extended line panel. All IgM was positive. All IgG was positive. Wow. All of it was positive. So I put him on doxycycline and then I targeted inflammation big time with him. You know, since he was just eating three foods, it was a shift when we figured out he was super sensitive to gluten. And of course, all of his three foods were just gluten, you know, gluten. <laughs> I think sure. it was like macaroni and cheese, pizza, and then hot dogs <laughs> or something like that. Was, they were all oh. gluten filled. No, it was, um, it was waffles. So, you know, shifting that was hard, but eventually we, we made that shift. We, you know, we optimized his vitamin D, we optimized his zinc. And really at that point, he was so severe. I also put him on a short course of a steroid um, as I got the natural anti-inflammatories in him. And as that kind of started to work, um, they started to see a complete reduction in his symptoms. Wow. You know, really over the next 30 days, they were like, okay, you know, he actually had to withdraw from school. He was doing so poorly. So after 30 days, you know, about 30 days to a month and a half, he started to where he could do half days at school. And then eventually, as, as we worked through, you know, taking out all the inflammation and, and, and putting back in into his body, all the things that he needed, both through diet and nutrition and getting rid of his rickettsial, you know, bacteria, he did incredibly well. He did incredibly well. So, um, and he was not one of my kids that had relapsing remitting symptoms. He, wow. he, he pretty awesome. much did well and stayed well. Um, so of course, anything that would happen over the, the, the year after for this kiddo, mom and dad were on super alert, like, oh my gosh, is this going to happen right. again? But he right. never got as, as bad as he once was when he came to see me. Um, we didn't have to use antidepressants or, you know, things to, to treat OCD, but I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not an anti-medicine person, you know, cause I think in some cases yeah. you said that in some cases it can be helpful. Um, Absolutely. but I'm also not the person that's like, Oh, well you have OCD. Let's put you on an SSRI and that's it forever. You yeah. know, we got to figure out why and, and maybe just use it as a bridge you know, medications to me are a good bridge. They can bridge to get you out of someplace really severe. And then as we build up and, and solve the other underlying issues, you can start to wean off the medications. And that's how you maintain stability. And I think that's such a great point in why it's so important to understand about all of the conditions that are out there, including pans and pandas, because especially with pans and pandas, there's a lot of kiddos who are struggling getting diagnoses that are inaccurate, whether that's just being labeled with, you know, ADHD or, um, you know, or severe anxiety or having Tourette's or, you know, some, a lot of other pretty significant diagnoses where pans and pandas, which is treatable is, are not being explored, right? So there's a lot of kids out there that really could have a much better outcome if uh, you know clinicians and parents were educated that these problems do exist and that there are some really good therapies available to get them in a better place, uh, and uh, that's such an amazing story. So thank you so much for sharing. The longer that I do this, and the more children that I treat, I mean, I very, very, very much believe in, in the core of my, being a practitioner that there is an immunological basis for a lot of severe psychiatric disease. 
And you need to do the work to rule that that there is something that is making that gene turn on to where it's creating such severity, whether it's depression, whether it's OCD, whether it's anxiety, whether it's pandas, you know, there is an immunological basis. And, And I would say, I think a lot of people will agree with me on that, you know? Absolutely. In the immune system, I mean, it's everywhere, right? So it's everything is connected. So we can't just think of anxiety as a brain problem, right? We know that it, it your gut is a huge part of that. We know that there's other other locations in the body that are essential: nutrition and detoxification. You know, hormone imbalances. All of these things are connected. The body. That's what I love about medicine. Love about you know just what we do is just how complex the human body is. And if we get into these. If we get tunnel vision thinking that everything is related to one system, we're going to miss the mark and we're not going to help uh, the people that really could see benefits. So absolutely. Uh, you're absolutely right. And taking that holistic approach, I think, is just so, so important for people to consider and recognize the value of. Well, I think a lot of people, they can uh, understand that even hormones, I love it that you brought that up because, I mean, if you've ever yourself had PMS or been around right. had PMS, do you not think that's going to affect your mood? You know? It's like, so true. It, it is, it's connected. Your brain is connected to your body. Exactly. You know? I mean, exactly. we're not systems in silos. We're systems that are influenced by not only the systems in your body, but, you know, your emotional environment, your stress environment, all of it. All of it matters. All of it matters. All of it does matter. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, you just had some really great insights and great information. One of the things I always like to close with, with the podcast is what is one practical health tip that uh, our listeners could implement to really help them improve their state of wellness, whether that's related to pediatrics or pans or pandas, I'll leave that up to you. But what is one tip that you would give for people to really just try to, to live a healthier life? Well, I'm going to do this in relation to pandas because you know, this is the one thing that I want parents to take home to know. If your child has a sudden onset of these regressive type symptoms that we talked about, like OCD, anxiety, food restriction, et cetera, I want you to go to your pediatrician and have them swab his throat. You know, I think that is a first step. And you can even go in and say, I know you're going to think I'm totally crazy, but will you do it anyway? And in my experience, about half of those kids come back positive. So I think that for your children, even if you don't know of a strep infection, that is the thing to do. And remember this, always change your toothbrush two days after you start an antibiotic for strep. Ah, good you, tip. You good can reinfect yourself. It. And I think a lot of people- That's a good tip. So, Absolutely. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much. So If someone wants to learn more about you and your practice and really tell us about your amazing book as well, where can they find all this information? Because I think we're going to have some people who are really interested in all the knowledge that you have to share. You can just Google us and find us at Neuro Nutrition Associates. And um, you can find our book on Amazon. We wrote a, a book around how to care for a child on the autism spectrum through a functional medicine approach. So it's called The Parent's Roadmap to a functional medicine approach for autism. So you can find us on Amazon for that as well. 
And there's a lot of good tips in that book beyond just autism too. I mean, with, with, for any kids, there's a lot of great healthy tips in there to be successful with turning a child's health around. And it's an amazing book. So I definitely encourage everybody to read it. But well, thank you again so much. It's been a pleasure and uh, we've learned so much and I hope to have you back on again soon and we'll dive into another topic. All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Osgood and keep doing the good work that you're doing up there. And I, I look forward to next time. Thank you. Remember, we have a free screening questionnaire you can download to help you identify potential PANS or PANDAS symptoms. You can find it in our show notes for this episode, episode 103, by going to grassrootsfm.com forward slash 103. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. Don't forget, you can join the Grassroots private Facebook group to connect with fellow health seekers and find practical tips to improve your state of wellness. Just search Grassroots Community on Facebook to join. And if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you're looking for a comprehensive program to reclaim your state of wellness with cutting-edge testing, a team of providers to hold you accountable, and a structured plan of action to not only get you well, but to keep you well in the years to come, check out our adaptation programs online at grassrootsfunctionalmedicine.com. Thanks again for listening, and have a blessed day.